All right, guys. Well, we're in Numbers chapter 20 tonight. We're starting Numbers chapter 20. <laughs> At least the first 13 verses we're looking at. <laughs> uh, the title is Correction and Direction. <laughs> Correction and Direction. And uh, yeah, I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes, but uh, it's a pretty stark and um, corrective chapter, so we'll see what happens here. Uh, but growing up, when I, I would get a new job, you know, the manager would be teaching me and telling me what to do, what not to do, you know, and if I messed up something up, I was reprimanded, and I learned right then to never do that again, right? Same with when I started working at the church for 12 hours a week. I, I was learning, and I was working, and I was open to correction and direction because I wanted to be where God's people were. And it was, uh, if, if I was stubborn and got mad every time my pastor would correct me, I would not have lasted long there, and I would not have been ordained later on. And so if I was only searching for a moment to debate and tell the boss what he was doing wrong, then I would get nowhere. But I understood, even as a young Christian, that following was a, a part of life. Like I was learning, you know, how to follow Jesus and adhere to God's word, and even as I dug into it, I was learning about myself and what I needed to change and get rid of or reprioritize with God's divine help, of course. But I was open to correction, and I, at times it was difficult, but at the same time, I knew some things needed to change. Like God is the one who corrects and directs our lives. And if, if we are stubborn to his correction and direction, we're going to be and remain stagnant and idle. We won't learn, we won't grow in the faith at all. But as we take a look at these leaders... In chapter 20, we see that there are consequences when a leader messes up. Now, if a leader has no one above him, then he can mess up all day, and no one will do anything about it, and he or she is in control, and they answer to no one, especially if they want no outside perspectives. And of course, those who he or she is leading will be miserable, but the, but the leader, like, that, you know, that doesn't care to them. But they could be way off track and have no accountability, and in turn, do horrible things. And in history, this has happened over and over again. Like when a leader gains power and has no accountability or any wise outside counsel, that person is capable of horrendous acts. And in this life, in this life of following the Lord, our leader is God, obviously. And as we live out what he's laid out for us, his correction should be welcomed, right? What we're going to see in this chapter is both, again, correction and direction. And this is what the Lord does. And if we don't take correction from him, then it's maybe an indication that our hearts are hard and we may be in a state of stubbornness. See, correction doesn't always feel good. It usually doesn't feel good. That's why it's called correction. No one wants to be reprimanded, corrected, or scolded. We love praise when things go right. You know, like, but we usually hate correction when we do something wrong and it's called out or it's recognized. Like you ever, you ever put a piece of, of furniture together and when it's almost done, you realize the piece that you put on first is like the wrong way? What do you have to do? You have to take the whole thing apart and redo it, right? It's going to take a much, twice as long. It's not fun. Follow the directions in the first place instead of guessing how it should go and then the outcome will be correct. See, the Lord was setting the precedent for his discipline when it came to leaders. And it wasn't just the congregation or the nation of Israel that he corrected. It was the leaders as well. Because it, it all boils down to one word most people shun in the world. The word is obedience, right? Obedience. And it's important to note, too, that not everyone is called uh, to be a leader. 
Like, yes, we are all influences. I was just talking about that with someone earlier. We're called to be influences one way or the other. But the Lord doesn't call everyone to lead and be in charge. I mean, if that were the case, we like be trying to take charge and everyone would try to be, it would just be a mess. No one would want to follow. It'd be like, we're all leaders. You know, I was a manager at a job I recently had and I had like three bosses and it was like the worst. <laughs> it was the worst. It never went well because usually more times than not, one boss would say, okay, I need you to do this thing first. Another boss would be like, okay, no, no, no. They said, what? No, no, you need to do this first. And then the owner of the company is like, no, 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 they're both wrong. You need to do this. And so who do you think I listen to? I listen to the owner. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care if they're vice presidents or whatever. This is the owner of the company. So whatever he says to me out of the three, I will do what he says, right? And so it made so much sense. It was so much easier just to follow one leader. And also James 3.1 says, those who teach the word have a stricter judgment. So leadership is not to be taken lightly, and it's, it's a serious task, especially if you're leading God's people. So the Lord is amazing at giving correction and direction. And this is what we're going to see in this chapter. And, and as a quick review, you know, Miriam died, and it's thought that Moses and Aaron were like uh, deeply affected by her death. Remember, it was Miriam. I know we had just read what, how she came against Moses and everything and took Aaron along with her, and he was just like a whatever she says kind of thing. But remember, it was Miriam who God used to save Moses' life when he was a baby. It was Miriam. She arranged for their mother to raise Moses and be paid for it in Exodus 2. In Exodus 15, Miriam led worship for the women at the Red Sea, this huge, amazing worship session. Miriam preserved, uh, not preserved, she persevered with her brothers during the wilderness wanderings. The sin that is in the biblical record was in Numbers 12 when she criticized Moses. And what this shows us is there's no perfect person. Like, we all mess up. We all mess up. We are all failures. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. But God's grace is there. Praise the Lord. If it wasn't, we would just feel condemned all day long. And that was the worst place to be. But let's, let's pray, and then we're going to dig into uh, uh, chapter 20. Well, Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for that word that speaks to us as a church, Lord, and, and encourages us and lifts us up. And we thank you for the word that encourages us individually, exhorts us, and corrects us, comforts us, does so many uh, good works in our hearts, Lord, unseen works, Lord, that affect everything that's seen. And so we thank you, Lord, that we can listen, that we can hear, that we can heed what you have to say to us tonight through uh, Numbers chapter 20. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, just as a preface, remember chapters 14 to 19 are the only recorded chapters of the 38 years of the wilderness, wilderness wandering. And chapter 20, it starts a new era with the second generation. And why wasn't there more recorded concerning the wilderness wanderings? Well, when a person is not living for the Lord, not much of purpose is happening in their life, like nothing, you know, other than disobedience. God could have recorded many books containing the sins of the people for all those years, but he doesn't. Now, if you want to look really at the human heart and how sinful it is and how horrible wickedness is, read the book of Judges. But, but no great miracles are seen, no breakthroughs and no divine intervention because the people didn't care. They were stubborn, they were disobedient. But when we do what God tells us to do and when we follow his lead, it will be eternally noteworthy. It will be recorded, right, in heaven. Like, that's all that matters. We're building up the kingdom of heaven, not here on earth. Because that day, though, when we see Jesus face to face, we're going to give an account of what we did on this earth for God's glory, which is 
very sobering. It's sobering, right? So what we see is the same problem, and we see the chastening of the leaders in chapter 20. So chapter 20, verse 1, in Numbers, it says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together, surprise, surprise, against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brothers died before the Lord. Why have you brought up why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made, made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So the same problem. It's the same problem, right? Like, let, let me remind you of what the children of Israel actually said when, when uh, they were here at Kadesh 38 years earlier. 38 years earlier in Numbers 12, 2, and 3, it says, And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Wouldn't it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? 38 years before, they were complaining. 38 years later, they're still the same old thing. What this shows us is, is that time is not always what makes a person spiritually mature. A person could have a fair-weather faith or lack of faith for decades. Just because they are 70 years old and they say they're Christian doesn't mean they actually are a mature Christian. We sometimes assume a person is wise because they have wrinkles. Oh, you're a Christian and you're old. You must be very wise, right? But it's not always how it works. Now, if a person seeks the Lord for all those years and stays on course and remains teachable, they will grow and become more wise in the scriptures and in the things of God. And you might met, have met these people. You just want to sit there and listen to their experiences in following the Lord all those years. But what's sobering is that the decisions that you make right now will determine what kind of person you will be in the future. The decisions you make now at, at 30 or 40 years old will determine what kind of person you'll be at 60 or 70 years old. And so I'll just say, invest in eternal things now, and God will grow your faith. So some call what the children of Israel were doing here is a conditional reflex. Conditional reflex, meaning every time the children of Israel faced some perceived hardship, they would go right back and complain about it to Moses and Aaron. This was like a natural occurring pattern. And the Bible's very clear on the subject of grumbling. There's many verses to pull from. I just grabbed a couple from Philippians 2.14, which says, Do all things without grumbling or complaining. James 5.9, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. See, not only did they complain, they also wept like babies because they didn't stay in Egypt. Romanticizing your sordid past is unhealthy, and it can go, uh, cause major discontentment. You ever remember something as, it was, as if it was just amazing and all good, and then someone points out what the result of that past event actually was? Like, it was bad. Don't you remember the outcome? Oh, yeah. I just remembered the good times. You're right. It was really bad. So this was the pattern, though, that the children of Israel fell back into whenever circumstances were not perfect. This was their conditional reflex. There was, there's some unhealthy patterns that the Lord has had to break in us, or maybe he still needs to break us. Most likely he does. 
Because there's always something that the Lord can work on in our hearts, in our lives, in our, in our families, in our marriages, as parents, in our occupation, in our hobbies, in everything. There's always work to do. Maybe it's a thing you, you, know, you fall back into the same old bad habits you had years ago, and you think, this time things will be different, though. They won't. <laughs> bad habits and ungodly patterns, there's nothing good about them. And see, many of us have gone through some serious difficulties this past year. And difficulties or trials can either bring out the best or the worst in us. We, we can probably relate to both. You know, sometimes trials, it's like, man, I learned so much. Thank you for teaching me through that, Lord. And, and you go through another trial, and we come out at the other end barely hanging on. We're like, Lord, that was horrible. Please don't make me go through that again, right? But we can either allow trials to mature us or let trials make us more childish, right? It's, we're, not, we're not called to have childish faith. That's not what Jesus said. He said have childlike faith, believing quickly to what God is doing and what he says. And again, James talks about this in chapter 1. If a Christ follower turns to the world every time they have a trial, that is a very ungodly and unhealthy pattern that needs to be broken right, and repented of. See, this was the turning point as Miriam died. She, she was the first of Moses' siblings to die, indicating that those who rebelled against the Lord would die in the wilderness, just like God said. What God had said would start coming to pass as the first generation were super old and, and close to dying. They were going to all die off, except for Joshua and Caleb, right? And, and also, just because Miriam was a family, it didn't mean she received like special treatment or a special you know, exception from the Lord, and she'd enter the promised land because she was a relative, right? There was no, there's no nepotism eternally. Like, there's no nepotism in the kingdom of God. Some people think they have special exemption from the Lord, and so they disobey, thinking, oh, it's no big deal. God winks at that sin. I, I was into way worse stuff before. But that's not so. Because Joshua and Caleb were the only two to survive that first rebellious generation, and they weren't family. Again, no nepotism here. So the people complained again, and the next we see God's solution. So here's God's solution in verses 6 to 9. It says, So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, right, like they usually did when the children of Israel rebelled, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Okay, so what kind of, this is what's kind of like sad here is that it should have been the people who fell on their faces repenting. You always think maybe this time the children of Israel they all just fell flat on their face and say, we're sorry, Lord. But it wasn't. The people should have asked God for forgiveness, but they didn't. The flesh rose up and the spirit was absent. So Moses and Aaron were the ones to intercede again, just like they had done in Numbers 14, 16, 22, and 45. But the need was valid. The people needed water. We need water to live. But the response from Israel was one that included Again, a horrible attitude demonstrating that they weren't trusting the Lord for provision like they should have been. And see, the older generation, they had almost died out, and now the younger generation, and this is the, the hard part, right, that they were acting all rebellious like the older generation. It's like a repeat. It's like, no, I just picture Moses going, here we go again. Come on, sinners. Like, you're the new generation. Start afresh. Start with actually obeying the Lord and not complaining every time something goes wrong. 
So the people were thirsty, so God told Moses what to do. Take the rod, speak to the rock, and it'll yield water. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And remember, back in Exodus 17, 6, God told Moses to strike the, wa- uh, the rock, and water came forth. But this time, Moses was told to speak to the rock, and the rod in his hand demonstrated his authority from God. This was the same rod Moses used to part the Red Sea. And the word rock here actually means high cliff or a fortress. Not just a small rock, but a massive one. So in verse 9, Moses so far had done what the Lord wanted him to do, right? So far he was obedient. It's like when the Lord tells us a command and it's pretty easy, we're like, oh, I can do that. I don't have to change much, right? But now comes the hard part. In verse 10 and 11, we see this careless uh, sin. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock uh, twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation of their animals and their animals drank. So instead of speaking to the rock, like the Lord told them to do, Moses, you know, smote the rock. He hit the rock, uh, the rock twice. He also spoke out of anger, calling the people rebels. And here's the best part of this uh, chapter, I think. The word rebels in the Greek, Septuagint, is translated maros, which is M-O-R-O-S. That's where we get our word moron. I'm no joke. I'm not joking. So in our modern day vernacular, Moses is like, here now, you morons. <laughs> right? Have you ever wanted to say that to somebody or said that? To I mean, I never have, but you guys probably have. But no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Now, we never get angry and say mean things, right? But no, we're humans. We have emotions, one of which is anger. Like if someone tells you they are not emotional, never cry, you can be sure there's other emotions there. Maybe it's anger. I don't know. But Moses was mad. But think about a few million people complaining for decades on end, totally disobedient to the Lord, and not repenting, and constantly complaining in your direction, and blaming everything bad on you. Most people would probably not have lasted this long in the wilderness. Moses lasted 38 years of wandering. It's it's a surprise. I mean, that is the grace of God that he actually had to put up with these whining complainers, right? But another thing to note is that many of us, as we walk with the Lord, we fail at the very thing God has given us strength for. You know what I'm saying? Like, for instance, Moses was the meekest man in the world, which means he had control, you know, he had control of his strength. He was given. Moses was patient, and he showed love for these people through praying for them. Sure, he was obedient, but still, I think up to this point, he had hope. Maybe they'd turn. But now the next generation, we're following the same pattern. It reminds me of Peter. Of Peter, the apostle Peter, he was super bold, confident in following the Lord. I will die for you, Lord. What are you talking about? I'm going to do anything for you. Where did he fail? He denied the Lord out of fear. See, Moses was human. He wasn't a super saint. He was a man living out the calling of the Lord. Moses went wrong in that he didn't honor the Lord and obey his orders. You know, in in striking the rock, this was the point where Moses ceased to be a picture of godliness. Moses smote the rock twice, but think about it. Jesus gave himself up on the cross only once and doesn't have to be crucified or smitten again. So Moses disobeyed God. He lectured the people and actually over-magnified his partnership with God. He actually said, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Speaking of him and Aaron, 
Moses was essentially saying that he and Aaron were needed to do these miracles. It was like taking partial credit for the working of God. And you know, as I was reading and studying, like every Hebrew scholar and theologian agree on this aspect of Moses' words here. You know, you know what's amazing? After the people complained and Moses sinned, the Lord still gave these murmuring people water. He could have said, you know what, turn that water into poison. Get rid of them, you know? But he still gave the people an abundant amount of water. In fact, water came out of the rock like in gushes, like abundantly. There, there was enough water for all the people and their animals. And you know what this shows us? It shows us what Psalm 103.10 says. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. That's the good news, right? <laughs> Nor punished us according to our iniquities. We deserve it. We deserve punishment all day long, every day, all the time. But his mercy, in his mercy, he withholds that punishment. And so Psalm 133, it also says, Lord, if you could mark iniquities, who could stand? We would all be goners. No one would be here on this earth anymore. So we see what we see is God's grace, even in the midst of Israel's sin. And you think of your own life and your own like shortcomings, right? Can you see God's grace in your life when you get an attitude, or begin again to implement an unhealthy habit or pattern of living that is apart from the Lord. I do. When I start doing that, I'm like, Lord, what's, what am I doing? No, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for not taking me out. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. I don't want to go back there. I, I, I can see God's grace in my life magnified when I disobey him in any aspect of his leading, and I realize it quickly. I recognize it. That's the thing. Before you're able to repent, you need to recognize where you're off where you miss the mark. My goal, really, every day is to quickly recognize the compromise in my heart and repent immediately. But Moses was mad because the first time he was told to strike the rock once, this time he was supposed to speak to the rock, but he struck it twice. So that shows you he was mad. <laughs> he lost it. He got to the point where he's just like, I don't know if it was blackout mad or what. It doesn't give us all the details, but he definitely was not in a good place. So what happens? Serious discipline happens. In verse 12 and 13, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow or sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. So the people were actually helped by God but so was Moses. Even as we look, look, look at it, it doesn't seem like it, but he was helped because God's discipline or chastisement towards us helps our walks with him. It helps us. He's not trying to correct us to prove us wrong or to throw things in our face that we've done wrong in the past. He corrects us so we can stay on the right path. Moses was disciplined. Does it seem, felt, uh, does it seem uh, fair? Well, Moses was the leader, and therefore he was held to a high standard. Moses wouldn't be permitted to enter the promised land. Moses partially glorified himself instead of glorifying the Lord, and that's a huge thing. God will not share his glory with anyone, right? So let me give you this cool Old Testament type right here. Like Moses was a type of the what? The law, right? Which the law cannot give us our inheritance, Galatians 3.18 says, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. 
Joshua is a type of Christ as he entered the promised land and claimed the inheritance and had victory. See, if Moses entered the land with the people, it would have ruined the message of the book, uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. But God knew what he was doing in this whole, this whole kind of time. Sometimes we think, well, did the, did the punishment really fit the crime with Moses? I mean, he led them for all those years. He did so much work. He prayed for the people constantly. He put up with so much. He had so much, so much perseverance and endurance. Well, if God did it, then it's right. <laughs> it's just, right? And so the first time God provided water for Israel, Moses called the place Masa or Meribah, which means uh, testing and quarreling. This time, Moses just called the place Meribah, means, means quarreling. Uh, this time it was Moses who was tested, and he failed. And in Deuteronomy 3, 23 to 29, Moses begged God to go over the Jordan, but God refused his request. Moses' meekness was again revealed because he submitted to God's discipline and continued to lead the people. He didn't say, well, why not, and just start complaining like the people he was leading. I would just say, just practically, don't let failure be, uh, be final in, in, in your life. It, you know, we all, we're all failures. If, if we can learn anything from the first 13 verses here is that we all screw up. We're all messed up. We're failures. We walk in the flesh sometimes instead of the spirit. We, we, we let our attitude get the best of us. We, we get mad at people that we don't even know. It's like, but don't let failure be, be final in your life. It's not like God's like, I'm going to hold that against you the rest of your life. Now, there may be consequences because you reap what you sow, sure, but God's not going to throw that in our face and make us feel bad about it over and over again. In other words, we're going to continue to fail, but we will also have the opportunity to learn from those failures, right? Because God teaches us through everything that we go through. And, and the Lord's always teaching us whether we're tested or we're just living life. Like there's always a lot to learn and grow in as we walk in this life of faith. You know, the ones who grow the most in the faith are the ones who always remain teachable instead of acting like they have all the answers. The scriptures have all the answers. The Lord has all the answers. And so we obey the one who knows the answers and the outcome of our lives and the lives of all his children. We just follow him. Again, it comes down to that one word. You know, every time we look at the word, the word of God, we see it comes down to one word, which is obedience, just following the Lord, simply following the Lord and realizing, man, thank you, Lord, for your grace. You don't punish me according to my sin. You see me through Christ who's in my heart, and I'm forgiven. That brings a freedom to live uh, and, and walk in the calling that God has for you. Whether you mess up or not, you're going to mess up. I mean, there's going to be fallbacks. You're going to miss the mark. All have missed the mark. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But thank you for Jesus who died on the cross once and for all to give us victory, right? To, so we can actually have that inheritance that we don't deserve. It's pretty, it's absolutely amazing. 